0: Republicans will never lose another election in Wisconsin after I'm elected governor. Really? Now why would that be? Tim Michaels? Hmm.
1: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the
0: feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. To the left of me, jokers to the right
1: Here I am, stuck in the middle with
0: you I am From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, people-powered radio Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding On KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, where that Republican Tim Michaels promises Republicans will never ever lose again once he wins as governor wonder what governor democratic governor tony evers has to say about that oh yes and also am 950 ktnf in minneapolis st paul we also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the progressive voices channel netroots radio radio for humans Sandler.com, radio free brooklyn workforce rising no lies radio burden square radio detour talk and all your favorite podcast sites blanketing planet earth five days a week i'm brad friedman Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. There is, as usual these days, a whole lot going on all at once. But, but, given but, Desi Doyen, but given that we are now (laughs) just days away from an election that, depending on how it goes, could in fact be our last one that is even recognizable as free and fair in this country. I am going to try to keep my focus on that election between now and Tuesday, November 8, and in all likelihood beyond, since, A, I suspect we're going to have some very close key races that may or may not determine the partisan majorities in the House and the Senate, not to mention our ability to have those free and fair elections, specifically, presidential election in 2024. Yes, that is all on the line this coming Tuesday. But B... Also, due to what my guest joining me shortly describes as the manufactured chaos now uh, underway thanks to right wing 2020 election deniers and liars and specifically how the Orwellian uh, so-called election integrity chaos from Republicans may hamstring not only Election Day and the ability to vote, but the post election period and the ability to count the results in a way that the public may oversee and have confidence in. So we're going to be keeping our eyes on that between now and Tuesday with nary a break, other than for an occasional uh, comic relief with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report. Because the Green News Report is so funny. Hilarious. (laughs) Anyway, along those lines, in the pre-election period, we're already seeing a great deal of manufactured chaos in a number of states with critical elections for uh, both the U.S. Senate and for statewide offices like governor and secretary of state, which will help determine whether we'll have a legitimate presidential election in 2024 or not. Let's uh, start here. As AP observed last week, in courtrooms across the country, efforts to sow doubt— over the outcome have already begun. More than 100 lawsuits have been filed this year around the November 8 elections already. The legal challenges, largely by Republicans, target rules for mail-in voting, early voting, voter access, voting machines, voting registration, the counting of mismarked absentee ballots, and access for partisan poll watchers. The cases Likely preview, they say, a potentially contentious post-election period. Oh, you think? In a strategy that stems from the failure of Donald Trump and his allies to prevail in overturning the free and fair results of the 2020 presidential election that he lost to Joe Biden. Republican Party officials also say that they are preparing for recounts, contested elections and still more litigation. Yes, yes manufactured chaos, if that's what it takes. The RNC has said that it has a multi-million dollar, quote, election integrity team. Uh, It has hired 37 lawyers in key states, held more than 5,000 training sessions to teach volunteers to look for voter fraud. And they have filed 73 suits in 20 states so far. Meanwhile, the Democrats' legal effort focuses on making voting easier, helping those denied a chance to vote. Democratic election lawyer Mark Elias and his firm is litigating roughly 40 cases in 19 states, though many, if not most of those, are actually interventions in the Republican-led suits. Elias said he's bracing for a deluge of challenges to election results. Some Republican candidates have already said that they will not accept Any loss or they have planted doubt uh, uh, on the election process despite no evidence at least so far of fraud and And of course if they win they probably will find zero fraud whatsoever oh yeah what fraud everything's fine exactly now while almost every election actually results in legal challenges the numbers that we are already seeing today are huge most of those legal challenges, at least traditionally, would come after Election Day, but here we are, before it's even started with just dozens and do- scores of lawsuits around the country. On that front, we've had a couple of noteworthy legal developments in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, That I want to share quickly with you before I get to my guest today by way of just a sampling of what is now going on nationally. The Pennsylvania Supreme Court ordered on Tuesday that county boards of elections must segregate and, quote, refrain from counting, unquote, mail-in ballots with missing or incorrect dates on the outer envelope. This is the place where, as I've discussed uh, with an election official actually in the state last night, it says today's date where you're supposed to write in today's date. But it has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not the ballot is timely cast by a legitimate lawful voter. The ruling, uh, she tells me, this election official, has resulted in still more chaos than has been underway already in an already chaotic election. And she is, by the way, in a very Republican-leaning county. The court was split on the questions of whether invalidating ballots based on an incorrect or missing date violates the materiality provision of the Civil Rights Act, as a circuit court had found last year. That it did that uh, basically the Civil Rights Act and and other federal laws says that a ballot cannot be simply dismissed or thrown away simply because the voter made an immaterial mistake in casting it, a mistake that does not actually affect its legitimacy. That was a big tactic that was used during the Jim Crow era. So that's why the Civil Rights Act is supposed to prevent that from happening. In this case, we're talking about if The voter forgot to put today's date on that outer envelope, or or put the wrong date, put their birth date or something. Or, uh, as, as I still do sometimes, I write the wrong year. I posted an <laughs> item uh, at Brad Blog the other day, a, a broadcast show, and I put the date as 2020. Yeah, it does not affect your actual ballot, because you are who you say you are. You are a legally registered voter. Uh, according to the state Supreme Court order, however, on Tuesday, the Democratic justices found that invalidating those ballots would... Violate federal law, and the Republicans on the court naturally found that it wouldn't. That comes after the U.S. Supreme Court recently nullified a federal circuit court's decision that it did violate federal law to toss those ballots, finding Uh, The U.S. Supreme Court found uh, the issue, however, and the the ruling by the lower court to be moot last month. This was a specific case where uh, there were not enough such ballots to have made a difference in the final results. The decision that the U.S. Supremes helpfully mooted was from the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. They found that whatever that date is, uh, you know, if it was missing or if it's incorrect, it has no bearing on whether the voter is actually qualified to cast the ballot, not least because the County Board of Elections would still have to receive it in time in order for it to be counted, no matter, you know, what the voter wrote on the envelope. So, yeah, it's ridiculous to not count them. They have to show up by Election Day or they won't be counted, whether they have the date that it was filled out by the voter on the outside of the ballot is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's voter suppression not to count them, as that county elections director in PA who asked to speak on background had complained to me. But when the U.S. Supreme Court mooted that lower court's ruling... Basically, with the lower court finding that, yeah, it would be unlawful to throw those out. Basically, that then opened the door to a whole new round of uh, legal attempts by the GOP to toss those ballots as they uh, you know make the calculation that tossing, tossing vote-by-mail ballots uh, or absentee ballots will end up hurting Democrats more than Republicans because Democrats tend to vote by absentee ballot more than Republicans do. At least as of now, thanks to... Donald Trump pretending that there's all kinds of fraud in absentee uh, uh, ballots. The Pennsylvania court, they're now down to six members after its chief justice died suddenly last month. So for now, there's a tie on the issue in the state Supreme Court. Three to three, that's resulted in an order that uh, county election boards for now Segregate the ballots. Do not count them if they're missing or have a wrong date, but preserve them because, you know, pending a further written order from the court and no doubt federal legal challenges to come thereafter. So that's just an idea of what's going on in Pennsylvania. You have been forewarned. Vote carefully. All of that, uh, which could affect, in PA, the razor-thin Senate race between Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman and Republican TV doctor Mehmet Oz uh, and the governor's race between the Democratic AG Josh Shapiro and the far-right Christian nationalist and election liar Doug Mastriano and countless other races up and down the ballot. That is just to give you a sense of what's going on in Pennsylvania more to come i suspect somewhat better news in arizona however overnight a federal judge on tuesday ordered armed members of a group monitoring ballot drop boxes in arizona that they to stay at least 250 feet away from the locations after complaints that people wearing masks and tactical gear and carrying guns We're intimidating voters. U.S. District Judge Michael Liberty,
1: it's
0: not spelled the way it sounds, but (laughs) Liberty, a Donald Trump appointee, said that members of the so-called group Clean Elections USA, its leader and anyone working for them are also barred from filming or following anyone within 75 feet of a ballot drop box. Or the entrance to a building that houses one. They also cannot speak to or yell at individuals within the perimeter unless they are spoken to first. This has been going on for the past week or so. I'm sure you've heard about it. And Judge Liberty initially allowed it to continue. Now he's apparently had a change of heart. Good. Thank goodness. The uh, group Clean Elections USA has stated that their goal of preventing voter fraud... Is what this is all about uh, by staking out these ballot boxes to ensure that people don't have a so uh, don't have don't behave as so-called mules, ballot mules, by illegally casting multiple ballots. He ordered this group to make it clear to their followers that, yes, you are allowed to cast multiple ballots. That doesn't make you a mule if you are casting them on behalf of. A family member, for example, or someone who is within your care. In recent weeks, these self-described mule watchers, some armed and in tactical gear, as I say, have been camping out in these parking lots near outdoor ballot boxes in Maricopa County. That's Arizona, the largest county in the state, to take pictures of voters and in some cases post those images online. They've also been in Mesa County. Last week, the League of Women Voters sued the group, saying its actions amounted to time, quote, time tested methods of voter intimidation. And uh, now they got this uh, order from Liberty, uh, who pushes them all back to uh, at least 250 feet if they are wearing tactical gear, carrying weapons and so forth, and uh, prohibits the group, quote, and other persons in active concert or participation with it from taking photos or videos of voters or disseminating information about voters online and also from, quote, making false statements about Arizona's statutes regarding early voting. The order also mandated that the group and its leader, who had been using Trump's social media site Truth Social to post all of this disinformation, that that group and its leaders now post his order and Arizona election law on that and other websites. The League of Women Voters described that as a victory. And one more before I get to my guest, because it underscores the type of manufactured chaos that is already underway and that we can expect much more of in days ahead and in the post-election period. We uh, discussed last week how a county in Nevada... Nye County, a very red-leaning county north of uh, Vegas, decided that they didn't have confidence in their voting tabulation systems made by Dominion Voting, so they decided to hand-count all of their ballots, including early and absentee votes, and that they would start those hand-counts before Election Day. They began last week. They originally received clearance from the state Supreme Court so long as they did not publicly release results of any sort of those early uh, counts before the close of polls on Election Day. Now, how one does public hand counting without letting the public know the results, as I noted last week, is somewhat beyond me, and the slapdash way that they were Planning to do this in Nye, in Nye County in a, you know, a real and live election, not as a pilot project first to sort of learn what is required and to develop specific, easy to follow protocols, as I have long recommended. But doing this in an actual live election instead, doing it that way as I explained, would likely dash the hopes of, you know, people who really support real hand counts publicly witnessed at the polling place on election night before ballots are moved anywhere. All of that would likely be ruined forever by this terrible idea if they did a crappy job. Well, you'll be shocked to uh, learn they did a crappy job. Yeah. Now, I'm not against hand counting at all. As many on the left in particular have maddeningly sort of become against of late. I am not against it, but it's got to be done correctly. There are actual professionals who can teach you how to do it right. Not many, though. Not many, because we don't do it a lot in this country. Uh, One of the only places we do it is in uh, about 40% of the towns in New Hampshire. They do it really well there. The whole community shows out shows up after the close of polls. and they you know, they all gather at the polling place, they volunteer to do the counting and to witness the entire thing. But these yutzes in Nye County clearly had no idea how to do it right. So in Nye County, Nevada, after receiving initial approval from the state Supreme Court and the Secretary of State, who by the way, is a Republican, they started hand counting last Wednesday. And just two days later, The Nevada Secretary of State's office ordered that the hand counting of mail-in ballots in Nye County stop immediately. That, after the state Supreme Court said the method that was being used violates state law. In a letter, Nevada's Deputy Secretary for Elections told Nye County's interim clerk that local officials, quote, must cease immediately counting ballots. The counting, he added, quote, may not resume until after the close of polls on November 8, 2022. Whether they'll be able to do it correctly then or not, well, that remains to be seen as well. But it comes after uh, two days of just sort of disaster. On the first day, they were able to count just 50 ballots. Now, the county in 2020... In the presidential election, 30,000 ballots were cast by voters there. So if you do some of the math, math there, if they stick with the current protocols, they would be unlikely to be able to finish counting all of the ballots coming in on uh, Tuesday and, and, and prior to that uh, before the deadline for certifying the, uh, the, the, the election under state law. But more importantly here, in calling out the votes on each ballot out loud as they were doing when they were hand counting, public observers were apparently then able to learn the results, which was what was supposed to be forbidden by the state Supreme Court. That seemed obvious to me last week before they began their ill-fated experiment, but... Oh, well, it took two days uh, for them to figure that out and for it all to be stopped. High profile and competitive contests for governor, for U.S. Senate and the role of the state election chief, the uh, secretary of state, are all on the ballot in this crucial battleground state this year. So, hey, perfect time to start experimenting with actual ballots (laughs) in an actual critical election, right? Some, uh, in fact, my guest joining me shortly, might argue that all of this is simply manufactured chaos to introduce doubt into the entire democratic process. He might be right. The ACLU of Nevada had gone to court to stop this counting, uh, arguing that reading aloud the votes uh, of each candidate with an earshot of the public would violate state law. But they did it anyway. So now the state's high court sided with the ACLU's argument. They had left it up to the secretary of state. And now the secretary of state says, no, this has to stop. The ACLU described that as a victory, uh, noting, quote, our position has always been that a general election is not an appropriate avenue for conducting experiments with election processes. I would agree, at least not in this slapdash way that harms rather than helps Gain confidence in the entire process. Jim Marchant, the GOP nominee for Secretary of State in Nevada, is a prominent denier and liar concerning the 2020 election results. He has lobbied Nye and other counties in the state to ditch their voting systems entirely Uh, to move to hand counting. He faces Democrat Cisco Aguilar. And he is just one of many Republicans on the ballot and off this year who seem to have an interest in manufacturing chaos. What can we do about it? Well, first step is knowing that it is happening and it is happening. But then what? Well, Take a quick break here. We'll talk about that and much more with someone who has spent uh, years working with voting machine vendors, open source voting technology groups, and most recently, even Twitter about what he now describes as Orwellian manufactured chaos, placing, quote, a knife at democracy's throat. And yes, what we can do about it. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. <laughs> I can, too. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Eddie Perez has spent more than 20 years at this point in the field of elections, election information and election technology, having... Spent about 15 years as, among other things, director of product management for several of those years at the Austin, Texas based Heart Inner Civic, one of the now just three major private voting system vendors in the U.S. He was there at least until he was able to toss away the shackles of a proprietary voting system company to become global director of technology and standards at the nonpartisan, nonprofit. Open Source Election Technology, or OSET Institute, which is devoted to research on open source election technology, development, and education. And that was at least until he was drafted to join Twitter, of all places, in late 2021 to help with their nascent efforts to try and curb miss and disinformation about elections and election systems and technology on the social network as their now former Director of Product Management for Societal Health at Twitter. Well. No pressure there. That sounds like an easy job. He recently left Twitter, some might say just in the nick of time, and is currently back at the OSET Institute, where he remains a board member and has been writing of late. As our uh, critical midterm elections loom, the first major elections, I should note, since Donald Trump's poisonous and relentless lies about the 2020 election captured the imagination of gullible supporters, who launched what has now been a so far fruitless two-year mission to prove that the 2020 election was somehow stolen from them, when, in fact, it was actually Donald Trump who tried but thankfully failed in multiple ways to steal the 2020 presidential election from the American people. Unfortunately, As you know, those evidence-free efforts by Team Trump to try and undermine the 2020 election have now become efforts to sow what Perez has been writing about of late and describing in his blog blog postings as manufactured chaos that he fears will become especially dangerous in the post-election period next week following Tuesday's critical elections, including what promises to be a whole bunch of Really close and really major and really important races at both the state and federal level. Races, in fact, as we have discussed in great detail over the past many weeks and months, that will be critical to the 2024 presidential election and, frankly, for the prospect of legitimate democracy at all anymore in this country. This manufactured chaos charges Perez in one of his recent blog items is what he chillingly describes as a knife at democracy's throat, which, pardon the somewhat macabre pun, cuts straight to the bone of my fears regarding next Tuesday's elections as well. Eddie Perez, welcome back to the broadcast, sir, especially now that you have escaped the little blue bird prison and can talk openly again about all things elections and election technology related, my friend. Welcome back to the broadcast.
1: Hello, Brad. It is great to be back again, and thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: I, I want to talk about your concerns about that manufactured chaos that you describe regarding the upcoming elections and, as importantly, what we as voters and or as election officials and or as journalists can and should and arguably must do about it at this late hour. But given that you have just escaped Twitter, Eddie, prior to the maelstrom of uh, just prior, I think, to the maelstrom of Elon Musk's takeover, and uh, we have been hearing reports over the past several days that uh, Musk has now blocked access to content moderation tools by staffers who would otherwise try to prevent misinformation and disinformation just before this critical election day how concerned should we be about that eddie how concerned are you and your former colleagues and what kind of dangers indeed regarding manufactured chaos could spin out of all of this uh between now and the critical post-election period beginning next week
1: well brett to start i i would say that i definitely am concerned and I, and i think that we need to continue being vigilant and watching everything every day from mm-hmm. now not only until next tuesday but beyond i mean the reality is that we have seen a lot of uh, impulsive to put it mildly uh behavior from elon musk and i don't think it's unreasonable for people to wonder what might come next what what other kinds of unanticipated actions could be really consequential so in general the concern is there Um, For me, the fundamental concern, and I think the challenge that Twitter faces in the future, is it's genuinely not really clear whether Elon Musk fully appreciates the harm that uh, can come from a social media platform, Mm. and particularly in the realm of elections, and we have seen this spin off into political violence. So for me, the main concern is, is that irrespective of whether, for example, a lot of Americans are using Twitter or not, Twitter is highly influential. It's very consequential for our politics, and a lot of the narratives and a lot of the information that is being bandied about on Twitter Mm -hmm. and a lot of the forces that end up getting mobilized, those can ripple beyond the platform itself. So irrespective of whether you have Americans that are or are not seeing all kinds of election denialism or mis- and disinformation about elections that might cause them to doubt whether elections can be trusted or not, Mm Whether they're seeing it or not, if the disinformation ecosystem is really getting supercharged and churning out a lot of that information, it it does have the potential. Uh, We're we're seeing this happen already. Um, There has been a lot of reporting Mm -hmm. about the level of harassment, if not, you know, life and death threats that are being made against election officials. They're leaving in droves. Mm -hmm. And of course, we saw a very dramatic example of that at the highest levels of our elected representatives with a uh, politically motivated motivated violent attack at nancy Pelosi's home, so mm-hmm. the concerns are very real I, yeah. I, I I will say one more thing I'm watching all of this as I said, I think we need to be vigilant. I am not at this point I don't want anybody to think that the wheels have fallen off. I will say that you know my experience at of twitter of, whether
0: of, of Twitter okay. out there want
1: to, yeah yeah yeah, yeah, my experience of twitter. Mm-hmm. Whether people you know want to believe this or not, uh, Twitter has a remarkably dedicated, very thoughtful, very intelligent group of people that continue to be working really, really hard uh, under this level of scrutiny and with this amount of change that's going on. I have confidence in them that they are continuing to try to do that. I just wish that on something this important, that based on the kinds of reports that we're hearing in the media, mm-hmm that they weren't potentially being so hamstrung. So I think it's a fragile time, and um, I'm glad we're having conversations like this so that we can talk to your listeners Mm -hmm. and other people about what they should be paying attention to and what they can maybe do to cut through some of the noise. Yeah,
0: I no, am I'm, I'm uh, very concerned about all of this. We did hear reports that uh, while the content moderation tools were essentially cut off to staffers, that um, those folks doing that work in Brazil somehow were given access to those tools once again just prior to the weekend election there between Lula and uh, and Bolsonaro, I don't know. Have you heard one way or another from former colleagues if there are in fact uh, you know if staffers even do have access to those tools as we're now just you know days away from the uh, Tuesday's election day here in the U.S.
1: I, I, I haven't heard anything specific mm-hmm. uh, either way, Brad, and okay. and and I'll just say in full disclosure. Even if I knew I I have certain confidentiality agreements Mm -hmm. that uh, prevent me from talking a lot about sort of internal past practices, Mm -hmm. Um, we are certainly there's a lot that we have to talk about with the future.
0: Understood. All right, you you are the one who described the uh, the quote manufactured chaos on a collision course with the 2022 midterms as a knife at democracy's throat. So at least I expect I don't have to ask you if I'm over worried myself about what could be coming down the pike. But and and we will talk about what can be done about it. What what do you mean by manufactured chaos specifically uh, and and how do you expect that it will manifest itself in the post-election counting period specifically since you uh, recently focused on that aspect
1: Sure well thanks for the question Brad I'll I'll I can give the short answer kind of my own definition of what I mean by this phrase of manufactured mm-hmm. chaos and I I think there's a lot that we can unpack there mm-hmm. because it it has a lot of tactics and activities that have the potential to play out both before election day and then as you mentioned, in the post-election period. So stated most succinctly, what I have uh defined as mm-hmm. manufactured chaos, these are basically coordinated attempts to interfere with or to potentially overwhelm what can broadly be regarded as normal election administration processes. Mm-hmm. And that can include either just all the procedures that need to go with actually running the election, it have to do with things like what do poll workers do, how are things operating at a brick-and-mortar polling place, Uh, what goes on with drop boxes and so forth. Mm -hmm. So there are procedural aspects there of just trying to ensure that the election is running smoothly and that we're not having disruptions and so forth. And it also includes uh, attempts to interfere with the technology of voting itself. And so just to cite one example uh, that has gotten, rightly, a lot of attention is We have a handful of counties across the country where there are indications that we have insider threats, where you have what should be entirely nonpartisan, unbiased election officials Mm -hmm. that in some cases are uh, extending themselves, if not inviting, uh, clearly uh, not experienced and probably not politically neutral parties to literally be laying their hands on election equipment, imaging software, Mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, We can talk a lot more about other examples of manufactured chaos, but as as I said, generally speaking, it's just these coordinated efforts to effectively throw sand into the gears of democracy. And and the last thing that I will say on it, the Mm -hmm. reason that it is so pernicious, in my opinion, is that a lot of these tactics of manufactured chaos, what fundamentally defines them is they are based on a prior assumption that you have rigged an untrustworthy elections untrustworthy elections mm-hmm. even if there is no evidence to believe those things and so it's a very selective kind of skepticism it i don't consider it to be a truly open-minded responsive to fact kind of skepticism mm-hmm. it is a selective uh, skepticism that's really trying to build a narrative in support of the big lie. And I think that's why it's it's such a concern.
0: Uh, yeah. And, I, I, you know, you, you cite the insider threat. You're talking about, you know, essentially election officials. Uh, it could also be argued voting system vendor uh, officials, you know, employees uh, who work for those companies. And uh, it's something we've talked about a great deal on this show with all of the Uh, breaches of voting system software and tabulation software. We saw it in Mesa County, Colorado, where Tina Peters, the county clerk there, has been charged with uh, 10 charges, seven felonies, three misdemeanors. We saw it in Coffee County, where the Republican uh, Board of Elections allowed these folks to come in and examine, make copies of their software for days and weeks, apparently, at a time you know as someone who who worked for one of those uh voting system companies uh some years ago what are the, the what are the the threats and the concerns of uh what has happened over the past several months how do they affect the upcoming election and then i want to talk about how much of this is actually your fault eddie perez
1: <laughs> so uh thanks I'll, I'll look forward to that yeah, yeah um okay the, to, to, to answer your first question yeah um I think that the real concern here, what all of the cases, um, again, Mesa County is mm-hmm. is definitely, Mesa County, Colorado is um, the most high-profile example, and Coffee County is another good one. All of these instances where we uh, are getting reports that there are election insiders uh, working with these parties mm-hmm. that are then, uh, as I mentioned, doing unauthorized things with the election equipment, the thing that concerns me is that all of those stem from, and they, rec- they reflect, a fundamental breakdown in what should be a very rigid firewall between impartial, technocratic election administration, which has lots of cross-checks, lots of procedures, it is a professionalized discipline, there are professional standards to do it, and the political world and what has changed so dramatically in the last two years is you know with some exceptions there's mm-hmm. always going to be some amount of wrangling over politics political outcomes and elections and so forth but broadly speaking there was a consensus that there was a distinction between that kind of just the facts quiet election administration on the one hand mm-hmm. and the political competition on the other there's a lot of counties across the country where even if you have a county clerk that is in charge of elections, and r- irrespective of whether they had a D after their name or an R after their name, we still had this consensus, even amongst elected officials, that at the end of the day, when you count the votes and you have the results that it was done fairly, mm-hmm. That consensus has just gone out the window. It,
0: it, and it, that it,
1: is the, that's the most dangerous place that, that we are.
0: It, it is, but I'm wondering, specifically as an election technologist yourself, you know, the fact that they have access mm-hmm. to this proprietary voting uh, and tabulation software, what can be done about that that has been released into the wild, you know, via crazy Mike Lindell, the Pillow guys uh, forums, where he's yep. made this proprietary software uh, uh, available to all that you guys, you know, back when you were at Hardinner Civic used to guard with your lives. Now that's out there in the in the public, you know, bloodstream. What what kind of dangers? What can be done with that information that might put next Tuesday's elections and and the counting thereafter at specific risk?
1: Sure. Well, the one thing I will recognize that that, that I do agree with you, Brad. I mean, it, it is it's very very damaging, and it has certainly not helped public trust in the machinery of democracy in the United States mm-hmm. that something like voting technology is limited to as few companies as it is, that as you mentioned, that it is proprietary software. Mm-hmm. There has been a lot of wrangling in the industry over you know, to what extent certain parties are or are not going to be allowed to perform research on it, to identify security vulnerabilities, and so forth. So there, there is absolutely no doubt that having that whole ecosystem, which for many years to a large extent can fairly be called a black box, it's not helping. It is not helping. That is absolutely a a kind of tinderbox. It has turned into a vacuum of information that a lot of conspiracy theorists have been happy to fill. Can they, now, use, your can they, they use that
0: point, information to manipulate I, results? Well,
1: I think the mo- the, the, the most important thing there that, that I would say to mm-hmm. your question of, like, it, you know, what, what can there be consequential damage here and everything else? Mm-hmm. I think the thing that is most important to recognize, um, and this is one of just kind of the fundamental dictums that over the years I'm always talking about in election administration and election technology, mm-hmm. is that voting technology is never used and operated in a vacuum. It is truly operating in a very complex operating environment mm-hmm. that includes a lot other processes and procedures that do not stem directly from technology i'm talking about things for example like everything related to the exhaustive reconciliation of votes that needs to happen every single election the the extent to which every ballot is validated against eligible uh registered voters for example the exhaustive process that happens in a canvas the reason I'm emphasizing all of these things is that we, we can and should take reassurance from the fact that irrespective of what vulnerabilities there are in, techn- in voting technology, and as everybody knows, there are vulnerabilities in every kind of software and so forth, um, the issue to me is can you have something go wrong without detecting it? Mm-hmm. And I have a high degree of confidence based on all the reasons that I just described that it would be exceedingly difficult Mm -hmm. to have some kind of mass-scale deletions, shenanigans, and so forth, without it being detected. And in fact, a lot of the news stories that we have seen in recent years, Mm -hmm. which sadly have become part of the disinformation cycle, the example that comes to mind is Antrim County, uh, Michigan, Mm -hmm. where they had a configuration issue with their tabulators in 2020. They initially, uh, the election officials ended up reporting results where they... Overreported some results that went into joe biden's column mm-hmm. here's the important part they caught the mistake they realized what had gone on because they had an older generation of their election definition that was working with different software on the mm-hmm. machine and they corrected that mistake and those votes were in fact ultimately credited to donald trump which mm-hmm. they should have been you, you, you know we are at a place where because of the political polarization people look at that both ways i look at that and i say this is a perfect example of how the system worked. Mm-hmm. The error was detected. We had transparency on it. Since 2020, there's been an exhaustive uh, analysis of what happened there from reputable people. And so, to me, that ecosystem of cross checks is working. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, as I mentioned, there are other people in the picture that look at all of that. And use it as a means to discredit process and technology all over the place. Well, it is so not. It, that, it, that's where we are.
0: Yeah, and I, I think we we may agree on on these points as well. You know, the system in that case did work. I, however, worry about the cases where it doesn't work, where it doesn't get noted, where it's not quite as obvious as the Antrim case was. You know, that can sort of slip through without anybody noticing, because in truth, we do not do a lot of post-election audits to make sure that the results are right. Uh, It's only when, you know, something has gone very obviously wrong, as was in Antrim, that we noticed that we notice it. But let me jump, Eddie, to you you offered several examples of what you see as the uh, chaos that is likely to come this year. And and this is one of the parts that I sort of want to challenge you on. Uh, you charge in your example number two, and I'll point folks to your your blog items on this. But um, that Nevada, with a uh, supposedly very tight race for uh, for U.S. Senate, is a quote an entire state awash in disinformation. First part of that question, easy part. How so? Second part of that question is. How much of this is our fault? You know, folks like you, working uh, a former voting system guy who sold, un, frankly, unverifiable, unoverseeable touchscreen-style voting systems. Um, you know, you you weren't responsible for the ones in Nevada, but they were used across the entire state there for years. Haven't we spent years? Asking people to simply trust us—you can't oversee it, but the results are right. Don't worry because our proprietary software says so. Uh, you know, aren't aren't those folks um, who who push those systems and now? You're working for working with the open source folks, but aren't those sort of proprietary systems somewhat responsible for the years of distrust in these systems that ended up accruing in states like Nevada? Or or am I being unfair?
1: No, I think I think it is a, I think it's a fair question, Brad. I really do. And I think it's a fair question. Um, the one thing that, to me, uh, I'll tell you why there, there are ways that I actually do agree with you. Um, I think that it needs to be located in a certain historical perspective. And what I mean by that is you are correct and we are seeing, but this is a, what I'm about to describe when I say we, mm-hmm. this is a collective we that in, includes not only voting system vendors, which Mm -hmm. need to be discussed, it includes not only state procurement authorities that are purchasing voting systems, it also includes elected representatives at the highest levels of government in Congress. There is a collective we that I would say for years and years and years, we in the United States Mm -hmm. have decided that we're just kind of going to be waving our hands and moving this stuff along and not having a particularly highly regulated uh, uh, voting technology Mm -hmm. industry. The Mm -hmm. federal standards are, of course, it is compliance testing only. They are voluntary standards. There are a lot of election officials that need to do a difficult balancing act between, look, I just need to run my election. I don't have a lot of choices in terms of what's there. Mm -hmm. And lastly, we have seen as recently as 2018, where in terms of the breakdown of bipartisan politics uh, in Congress, it has been exceedingly difficult just to get agreement in Congress that election infrastructure is critical infrastructure that is essential to our country's national security. And shouldn't we all agree that we need to have investment in that? Yeah, And let me
0: me underscore uh, very quickly that it has been Republicans, many of the same who are challenging uh, the legitimacy of results now. It was Republicans then who blocked Democratic attempts to have uh, more oversight, more testing, more uh, security on these systems. I just want to make sure that doesn't get lost here, but please continue.
1: No, they were, there was absolute silence on that at that time, and a lot of people have pointed that out. And so I don't disagree with the premise of your initial question. I think that on something as essential as the legitimacy of the outcomes in our public elections, which again, it involves process, it involves voting technology, we can never, ever discount the importance of transparency and accountability. And I absolutely think that you're correct to say, hey, we probably not probably. We as a country were not doing as good a job on that in the past. Mm -hmm. We still have a long way to go today. And in that sense, I don't think it's unreasonable for some people to say that was a collective failure, and yes, that has contributed to us having a lot of the challenges that we're in today. The one thing that I will finish on that, at the risk of sounding sort of Pollyannish about it, Mm -hmm. it's incredibly painful to be at the very dangerous place that we are in our democracy today. And, and really, fundam- the fundamentals of these hard problems that we're talking about are not getting solved. Right now, mm-hmm. we are at a place where these wounds are being ripped open. Yep. It's right there, and all of the challenges are there for everybody to see. All I can do, and, and it might sound like cold comfort, is I'm going to keep hoping every day and in the years ahead that as these issues are now coming up in all of their danger, that we will find somehow the motivation to do more today than we have done in the past.
0: I hope so, and I hope that more includes uh, more oversight by the public, more involvement by the public. You know, even uh, you know, folks who are deluded and lied to and conned and brain poisoned, even they deserve to know. That their elections are tabulated accurately And some, you know, you could show them everything in the world And they still would not believe you I do understand that, but it does seem like the more public oversight, the better. Now, uh, I've got just a couple of uh, short minutes here, Eddie Perez, and I want—I do want to fly through um, some of your advice for what we can do about all of this. Um, you offered a few points uh, to, at least, to those of us who are not brain poisoned and still in touch with reality, and would like to see American democracy. Even with all its flaws, continue. So let's run through some of your advice very quickly for voters, election officials, journalists, and sort of everyone collectively. For voters, I guess between now and Tuesday, and in the post-election period, what sort of what what can we do to help rather than harm uh, the 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 situation that you fear the sort of the worst-case scenarios of this manufactured chaos that you fear?
1: Sure. Number one. For voters, particularly at this time, and for any voters that still need to be participating in the election, Mm -hmm. the number one takeaway for them is they need to be relying. If they have any questions about the voting process, about where to go, about what's on the ballot, important people, the right people, have been saying for years, you need to consult your trusted election officials, and that is absolutely true. For most voters in the United States, the person responsible for running elections is your county clerk. In some states, it is a township clerk. Even with everything that they have to juggle at this time, you know, I have worked with election officials for 30 years, and these are the most deeply dedicated people that even in in the throes of all the activity, this aspect of voter service is essential to them. So that's Mm -hmm. number one. Voters need to take advantage of that and go to your local election officials to get the answers that you need. One of the things in that context, I'll say, even well-meaning people On social media for example even people that are trying to they think they're being helpful to other people in terms of how to participate in the process everybody needs to remember that in the United States we have an incredibly decentralized system of elections and every state is going to have its own laws and its own procedures and they're going to be different and even what's in the county next door to you might be different in your own place so you need to go to your local source that's number one Mm -hmm. the second thing I'll say very quickly is Everybody needs to constantly be very mindful about the information that you are consuming online, particularly in social media. We know that it moves at the speed of light. We know that it really encourages really fast sharing. And um, I have some resources on my Twitter feed, uh, generally along the lines of media literacy. And everybody needs to be in that state of mind where before you click that share button, particularly if there's something that makes you angry or it makes you feel emotional, slow down and ask yourself, is this accurate? How do I know that it 's accurate? Where is this information coming from? and so forth? So those are the two most essential things um, that I think that that right now that voters can do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll pause, and I have some, some quick thoughts in the post-election period as well.
0: Well, I want to. Uh, we, we only have a minute or two left, so we're going to have to run through this quickly. Uh, ju- let's let's skip to journal. What advice, is, advice do you have for me, Eddie Perez, uh, for journalists to uh, do a better job of serving our democracy and making sure that uh, this uh, Orwellian manufactured chaos doesn't uh, doesn't take over.
1: The most important thing for journalists is they need to understand right now that they have a unique role to educate the public about these processes. Mm -hmm. And in other words, this is not simply a situation where journalists can afford to be reporting on the horse race and who's winning and who's losing. This is a dangerous and fragile time for democracy. There's a lot of confusion about how election processes work. There's a lot of people that are actively trying to put disinformation out there, and yes, to confuse the public. And so I think that more than ever... Journalists need to be paying attention to their educational function at this time and helping uh, voters to cut through that confusion.
0: And turning, frankly, I would add to experts like you, to experts like those election officials. And ironically, you also uh, note for election officials, for advice for them, that they should get ahead of the falsehoods as much as quickly as they can and go to the media, work with the media, enlist the media. In forcefully helping uh, folks to understand the real processes, uh, Eddie, you you can you conclude one of your um, uh, most recent posts on manufactured chaos by noting, quote, post-election manufactured chaos is like throwing sand in the gears of democracy in an effort to grind the whole process to a halt. And candidly, you write, my concern is that it's being done. Precisely so that more radical anti-democratic, that small d democratic, so-called solutions can be justified, you advise us to stay vigilant and note facts still matter. Eddie Perez, I do hope that you are right about that.
1: Something we all need to participate in, Brad, and your show and getting information like this out there is all part of the process and what we need to be doing to support democracy.
0: Eddie Perez is a member of the Board of Directors of the Open Source Election Technology Institute, a nonpartisan nonprofit election tech research, development, and education organization. And he is the former Director of Product Management for Societal Health at Twitter which may sound like a contradiction in terms. You can find his work. I will link to his blog items. You can find his work at osetfoundation.org. And he mentioned some sources he has on Twitter where he is, I think, still at Eddie Perez TX, as in Texas, Eddie Perez TX. That's still correct, right, Eddie?
1: I have updated that, oh. Brad. Oh. Uh, the latest, if, if you all want to follow me for election security and election integrity, go to Eddie number one Perez. That's Eddie one Perez on Twitter.
0: Thank you, sir, for that correction. Much appreciated. Also, thank Thanks. you for your time today. Uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. We'll uh, maybe give you a shout uh, in the middle of whatever manufactured chaos uh, comes in the next couple of weeks. Thank you, brother. We, we
1: shall see. It's, all, it's always a pleasure being with you,
0: Brad. You're very, very kind. Much. Thank you, sir. Okay, we have got to get out. Yes, I know. You can stop staring at me, Desi. I know I'm yes, running late. Missed yes. another break. I know, but manufactured so chaos it. is important to understand and know about in advance. I agree. Thank you. All right, got to get out anyway. My thanks uh, to Eddie and also to our producer, Desi Doyan to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download all of them for free anytime at bradblog.com. No paywall. Thanks to those of you who stopped by Bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me an email if you like. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the BradBlog. I'll see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.